0: This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Good morning again. Um, So we are in part two of our series that we have called conversations with Jesus. And we started out last week just discussing about the scripture, how all of the scripture Jesus told us pointed towards him. So as we look through scripture and we see stories in the scripture and the overall arc of the scripture, the narrative about scripture is pointing us to Jesus, is pointing us to the Savior. And as we mentioned last week that we all have people um, in our lives who influence us and help us and teach us things. Um, and this is the way we need to think about Jesus as Jesus has called us to be his disciples. Jesus never told us, I need you to be Christians, even though that's a name that we are given, that he has called us to be his disciples. In other words, that we are learners. That's what it means to be a disciple, that Jesus is our teacher, he's our leader, he's our Lord, he's our rabbi, as it were. And then we would be receiving instruction from him, life instruction, not religious instruction, but life instruction. And this is what we get from Jesus as we look through the scripture. And we have the four gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John that tell us about the life and ministry of Jesus. And as I encourage you to do um, in your Bible reading time, it's always good to go back to the gospels. We see about Jesus and his life and what he did and what he said and how people responded to him and the questions people asked him. So when we involve ourselves in those gospel uh, stories, we can read and understand about Jesus. And as we read last week in the book of Hebrews, that the greatest, our greatest understanding about who God is is Jesus. The full blaze of God, that our understanding about God is to look at the person of Christ. Not some Old Testament character, um, not, the, not the disciples of Jesus, not the apostles. But as we look at Jesus, the more and more we look at Jesus and understand who Jesus is, that's how we understand who God is and how he would react in conversations. What Jesus would say in conversations is this is how God would act and how he would talk with us. So we want to put ourselves in those conversations, We want to see what people said to Jesus, how he talked to them, who they were, maybe what their background was, Jesus' responses, Jesus' teaching, um, and all these different things. And then we, as as disciples of Christ, we can grow in our relationship with Christ. Now, the word Christ, we say Jesus Christ. Now, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is a designation. Uh, Christ means the anointed one. It means the chosen one, the Messiah, the Savior. So it is a a spiritual description. Obviously, Jesus' name was probably Jesus of Nazareth. And that's what their names were, Jesus and the city that you were from. So Jesus of Nazareth, but we call him Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And last week we discussed this idea that Jesus is our prophet, priest, and our king. The people that had the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon them in the Old Testament were these three categories. The prophet, who was the prophet to Israel. The priest, who would make the sacrifices. And then also those who were anointed to be king, to be leaders of the nation of Israel. That Jesus stands in the place of all of those things. And we talked about that he can be those things for our lives. And then we focused on this idea that the word of God is seed to us. And when we take the word of God, God's thoughts and his ways, and we sow God's word into our lives, that his thoughts and ways and ideas and promises, they grow up in the soil of our heart. So we want to be good soil for God's word. We don't want to be rejecting God's word. We don't want God's word to be bouncing off the soil of our heart. But we want to be good soil for what God would say to us and what he wants to say to us. And as we look through the scripture, we see um, these experiences in the gospels that people that came in contact with Jesus, they never went away the same. That as they experienced him, as they were taught by him, as they had their questions answered, um, they never didn't go away the same. Now, some people went away angry Some people hated Jesus. Now, we, as Christ followers, we couldn't imagine that uh, because he's our Lord and our Savior. We give our love and affection to him. But when Jesus walked the earth, he made a lot of people mad, specifically religious people. That how Jesus would talk to them and what he would say about them and part of his teachings were angled um, in a negative way towards religious people or religion itself. That Jesus came to actually shut down his own religion and really to shut down the need for any religion of any kind. And all of religion that we would define by this way that... Man is making their way to God. All religion, in some shape, form, or fashion, is people making themselves acceptable to God. In other words, climbing the mountain. I'm going to climb to the mountain. God's on the mountaintop, and I'm down on the bottom of the mountain. And so I'm going to create a way, a methodology of sacrifice, a methodology of teaching, a methodology of um, enlightenment... And I'm going to be at the bottom of this mountain and I'm going to climb to God and the way I'm going to climb to God is through my religion. All religion is like this. Christianity, the story of the scripture, is about God coming off of the mountaintop and coming down in Jesus, coming to us. Salvation is about God coming to us, not us coming to God. And then all we have to do is receive what God has accomplished through Jesus. So Jesus made the religious people mad because they, when you when you become religious, you're you're more excited about your the methodology of your religion than you are loving God or loving people. And we would see this to be true, and you can discuss it at lunch. Religious people don't necessarily love people and love God; they love their system, they love their rules, they love their approaches. And if you don't love their system and their rules and approaches, they hate you. And in some cases, they want to kill you. Religion is evil. It's bad. But the relationship that God gives us through Jesus is a wonderful thing. It is something that God does for us. And we just say yes to what he has given to us. So we're going to look this morning here. Since it is Palm Sunday, we're going to read here a couple of scriptures. Did anybody bring their palm branches to church this morning? Come on, people. What kind of Christians are you? It's B-Y-O-P-B morning, which is bring your own palm branches. Um, So, you know, you missed out this morning to wave your palm branches. But let's read here about Jesus coming to, the, to, coming to Jerusalem. It is the triumphal entry. Uh, about a week or so before he gets crucified and we can see him coming into Jerusalem, it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, What are you do?'" Uh, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away, found a colt tied at a door outside of the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told him what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their clo- cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields, and those who went before the, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So here we see this group of people receiving Jesus, the triumphal entry, we call it, into Jerusalem. And this is significant because we, this is how um, conquering generals would have been received back to, to cities in which they had left. So they left out to fight a war and then people heard that the general was coming back after a victory and this is how they would receive the general. This is how they would receive the leader and it's, and it's um, an, an acclamation and an adoration of that leader. So we see these people, uh, the Jewish people, receiving Jesus, receiving the Messiah, receiving the King, shouting Hosanna. And really, Hosanna just means, uh, I pray that you save us. And it it is a term of adoration. It is a term of praise. This recognition of of who Jesus is as they watched him. Now, the very interesting thing about this crowd... Uh, Part of this same crowd, not too soon after, after Jesus' trial, was shouting, crucify him. Crucify him, after shouting, Hosanna. And see, a lot of, all all of us have to answer the same question for us, for ourselves, um, following Jesus. That the crowd is going to be shouting one thing one day, and then shouting another thing another day. And the question is, are we going to follow Jesus regardless of the shouts of the crowd? Do we have a commitment uh, to following Him, understanding who He is, that He is the Messiah, that He is the Christ, that He is the risen Savior? Because there's going to be pressures at at various times in our lives. There's going to be things that go wrong in our lives. There's going to be struggles in our lives. And when those things come our way, are we just going to give up? Are we going to stop shouting Hosanna and just follow everybody else? You know... uh, as I, The older I get, it's, it's strange, you know, um, you watch people that were really on fire for God at one point in their life, really serving Jesus, people that I had gone to Bible school with, um, really at this point in their lives, are they, not only are they not following Jesus, not going to church, but they're virtually agnostic, they're not even sure God exists. And I have other friends that were really into church at, at one point, really into serving Jesus, really into um, part of being, uh, being a part of the community of faith. Now they're just kind of a ho-hum. They don't really go to church. They don't raise their kids in church. And, and what happens in those situations is just life happens. Um, and then when life happens, people, all of us, have choices to make. Are we still going to follow Jesus when things don't necessarily go our way and then maybe the crowd is shouting something else and we all should and we need to be making those decisions on a daily basis to follow Jesus. So they were shouting hosanna. They were shouting hosanna to the to the savior. Pray save us. This is what they're saying. Now that word save us means savior, it means deliverer, it means help, it means preservation, it means to defend, it means to rescue. It means victory. This recognition, this understanding that when the Messiah comes and the Messiah is Jesus, this is what the Messiah is going to do. He is going to save us. He is going to rescue us. A lot of times he's saving us from ourselves and, our, and, and the, the mess-ups that we make and our sins. He's saving us from the things that we do. And then he's also saving us from the things that happen to us that aren't a part of our choices. Living in this broken world. That we're living life in this broken world and things sometimes go sideways. Things become difficult. And the Savior, what the Savior does is He saves you. He helps you. He preserves you. This is what we want to talk about this morning as we think about Jesus. So at the end of the service today, we're going to uh, receive communion together. If you're comfortable, you can do that along with us. But we're just going to remember this idea today that Jesus is our Savior. So we're going to read some familiar passages this morning uh, just to encourage our faith. And and specifically, we want to talk about this idea that Jesus is a healer. That as we look in the gospel stories, we have all of these stories about Jesus healing people. And even if you aren't a church person, even if you don't, don't go to church or you're not a Christian, that you have probably heard that Jesus was a miracle worker. And this is one of the things that Jesus was famous for. He was famous for healing people. And at different times that we would see, he would heal multitudes of people. And this whole, you know, just a whole group of people. He would just lay his hands on them and they would get healed. And these miraculous things would happen. Sometimes people would get raised from the dead. All these different things happening. Now, amidst the multitudes getting healed and all these different groups of people, that we actually have some detail about some individuals that got healed in the Gospels. Now, there's 19 different individuals that got healed in the four Gospel accounts. Sometimes it might seem like more, but some of them are repeated. And we have this tremendous detail, maybe where they were from, what their ailments were, what they said, what Jesus said. And as we look at some of these stories today, we can just enter ourselves into this conversation with Jesus. And if you're, you know, you're here this morning, you're kind of thinking, well, you know, this is not going to apply to me today. I'm not really sick. I'm good. Um, at some point in your life, you are going to face sickness and disease. And then not only um, physical disease, but there is also... Um, things that happen to our heart. The scripture talks about being brokenhearted. And we can we can face brokenness in a lot of different ways. We can face emotional brokenness, we can face physical brokenness, but the same would be true that Jesus is the savior that he saves us, that he helps us and his power is available for us in these areas. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 53 this morning. We're going to look at a few verses here in the Old Testament. Now this is a prophecy about the messiah this is a prophecy about the christ and what jesus is going to accomplish as as he dies on the cross isaiah 53 verse 3 says this he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hid their faces he was despised and we esteemed him not surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Or by his stripes, the more familiar term is from the King James, by his stripes, we are healed. In other words, because Jesus' body was broken ours should be healed because he took stripes on his back because he took this punishment for us that he on the cross was our substitute we are the ones that should have died we are the ones that should have taken the punishment but as our substitute he did it on our behalf he did all of these things for us uh, his transgress he took our transgression he did it for us He did something for us on the cross. And this is how we need, as we enter into this conversation with Jesus, this is how we know that Jesus, one of the areas that Jesus wants to talk to us about, that he wants us to let him be our Savior, to help us when we struggle with sickness and disease. Has anyone um, been sick in here today? Not necessarily sick today, but we've all been sick at different times. You know, about, about ten days ago, um, you know, your, your kids, they go to school and they get sick. And then they bring it home and they bless you with it. And it isn't a blessing, it's a curse. Um, and they come, you know, and they come home and then the, the other Friday, man, I was just... It felt like every breath I took was painful. And then you cough and then there's more pain. And it's no fun to be sick. It's not a good thing. There's nothing good about sickness and disease. And the scripture is telling us that by Jesus' stripes, we are healed. So this is one of the areas that we need to think about Jesus in our lives. As our Savior, He heals us. He helps us. And so we want to open ourselves up. We want to open ourselves up to the power of God, to the healing power of God. uh, Malachi chapter 4, the last book of the Old Testament. Once again, a looking forward to Jesus. Says this in Malachi chapter four, verse two. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Now here is an analogy about Jesus. It says uh, the Son of Righteousness. It's S U N, not S O N. The Son of Righteousness. Uh, this idea that the sun would rise, and in the wings of the sun there would be healing. The Son of Righteousness, healing. In his wings. And this is how we need to think about Jesus. He saved and he healed people throughout the Gospels. And then also he wants to save and heal us. The word uh, healing just means health, restoration, renewed. The restorative powers of righteousness. The son of righteousness is risen with healing in his wings. How is it that we become righteous? Righteous. As I've already mentioned this morning, is it by us climbing the mountain of our religion or our moral perfection? I'm going to climb the mountain, God, with how good I am, how amazing I am, how religious I am. I'm going to climb the mountain and I'm going to offer that to you. And in exchange for my awesomeness, in exchange for how good a Christian I am, in exchange for how much I read the word, in exchange for how much I pray, I'm going to receive something from you, no, no. We don't receive things from God like that. How we receive healing or anything from God, it comes from the righteousness that God gives. It comes as a gift. It comes from God's grace. And our struggle is all the time was we're trying to be good enough. We're trying to qualify for, for these things. And so we think, well, you know, I'm sick, and so there must be a reason, and I'm not a good person, I'm not a good Christian, so I'm not, just not even going to bother praying. But you never received anything from God based on how good you were anyway. It's coming to us because of the wonderful power of righteousness. Righteousness that God gives us through Christ. He, the son of righteousness, is risen with healing in his wings. So we see this throughout the life and ministry of Jesus. So our place with God, the righteousness that God gives us, is not a place of guilt. It's not a place of shame. It's not a place of, oh, I shouldn't be sick because I follow God, because I follow Jesus, I shouldn't be sick. And, and somehow because I am sick, there must be I must have done something wrong and so I deserve this thing. And so because I'm deserving this thing because I'm such a bad person, I'm not even going to pray, I'm not even going to ask. But a place of righteousness is not a place of shame. It isn't a place of guilt. It is the place of a child with their father. It is a place of righteousness. It is a place where a child comes without shame and asks their father for what they need. And all good parents should be like that, that your children shouldn't have to walk to you on on their knees with their head bowed down with a whip in one hand and whipping themselves and coming to them and say, Dad, do I qualify for breakfast today? Is that what your children do? No, they don't. You come out and there's no food left in the fridge after they were there. Why did they do that? Because they're in a relationship with you and they're bold to come and ask and then they're just bold to come and receive what you have already provided. You have provided food for them. You put it in the fridge and you put it in the cupboard and praise God when they're old enough. You don't have to feed them anymore. That they can walk downstairs. Parents, you know, parents with young children, you can only dream about this day. <laughs> but it's a beautiful day when it arrives, when you, when you could still lay in bed. And you can hear them in the kitchen getting their own breakfast. And you don't have to be afraid that they're going to light the house on fire. <laughs> it's a beautiful day of freedom. But that's the way God is. God makes provision for us. The sun of righteousness is risen with healing in its wings. That God makes provision for us. And when God makes provision, we as good sons and daughters should receive the provision that God gives. We should say yes. When he provides something, we should say yes. We shouldn't come from a place of shame and think, I don't qualify. I don't qualify. I shouldn't. No, Jesus has qualified you. Jesus has done something for you and he's called you a son and a daughter. And what he wants you to do is receive the things that he's given. So let's just look at a couple stories this morning and then we'll receive communion together. Mark chapter 8. Now, in Jesus' ministry, he healed at least seven blind people. And this is one of the stories of him healing a blind man here in Mark chapter 8. Verse 22 says this, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes... What did he do? He spit on his eyes. Does anyone want to go for this today? Does anybody want to... We're just, let's just do the scripture this morning, people, shall we? <laughs> now, as we said, Jesus healed at least seven blind people in his ministry, and each blind person that he healed, he healed them all differently. And, I mean, you know, I, I loved... I love to not like religion, but here's just another reason to not like religion. Jesus didn't do the same thing every time, because if he did the same thing every time, there would be a church of the methodology of healing the blind people. And if we believe the scripture and we do, the, we do it the true way of the scripture, and Jesus did it different every time, so we wouldn't look to methodology and approaches and outward stuff for our religious purposes to be satisfied that Jesus did it different every time. And really, spit, in one sense, is, is sort of the lowest form of something. Like It's almost like a disrespectful thing. Obviously, it would be a disrespectful thing. But in one sense, you could see it like this, that it's, it's not a hard thing for God to heal somebody. It's not a difficult thing. It's not a struggle. It's, God will use whatever to heal somebody. He spit on his eye. And laid his hands on him, and he asked, do you see anything? And he looked up, and he said, I see people. But they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. And his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he went, and he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. There's a bunch of things in this story that may be a little bit blind to us uh, the first time we read through it. But here Jesus, this this blind man, is in Bethsaida. Now this town is one of the places where Jesus pronounced a woe to them. You remember when Jesus would say, woe to you. And basically he's pronouncing a judgment on them. In other words, they had seen a bunch of things. They had heard Jesus teaching. They had seen some miracles. And then they didn't follow after him. They didn't say, okay, Jesus, we trust you. We, We believe in you. That there was a bunch of unbelief in this city. So this is one of the reasons why Jesus took this blind man by the hand and led him away from a group of unbelieving people. People that didn't actually believe what Jesus said, didn't believe that he was the Messiah. So we don't want to be one of those cities, right? We don't want to be one of those cities that doesn't trust God. We don't want to be one of those places where somebody couldn't get healed. Why? Because we're just doubters and we're angry and we're grumpy religious people. We want to be open to the power of God. We want to be open to what God can do in the lives of individuals. We want to be open and trust God. That someone who's way far gone or someone who's just so far away from God. We just want to have faith in God. We want to trust Him. Amen. Just a group of people, that's just, we put our faith in God. So here, in this, in this healing, this is the only healing within the context of Jesus' ministry that was sort of a gradual thing. So we don't know, may, and we don't have any detail there necessarily, but, you know, if you're living in, in a place of doubt and unbelief, that he, maybe it was a little bit of a struggle for this guy to receive from Jesus. And he opened his eyes and was like, I see, you know, but people are like trees walking. In other words, he couldn't see clearly yet. Jesus laid his hands on him again, and then it said he could see clearly. And then he said to, then he said to the guy, don't even go back to that village. Don't even go to that place where, you know, people aren't trusting me. People don't have faith in me. Why? Why would you not want to go back there? Because there'd be a bunch of doubters there. and we don't, we don't want to be a place, be a place of a bunch of doubters, right? We want to be a place of a bunch of faithers. Right? We want to put our trust in God. We want to put our trust in the power of God. And this is what Jesus was was telling this guy sort of subconsciously. Hey, hey, don't go back there. You, You got your healing, but you don't want to go back to that place of doubt. And as we think about that for a second, can our unbelief actually hinder the power of God in our lives? Now, we know in general... As a generality, and I can hear the roofers, as a generality, we know that um, God's power is obviously powerful and his arm is strong. And God is going to do what he's going to do with his plans and his purpose and whatever is in the mind and heart of God for time and for eternity is going to happen when it's supposed to happen based on the mind of God and his plans and all these different things. We're not going to be able to hinder the ultimate plan of God in the world and throughout eternity. But in our own lives, we can see that our faith makes a difference. And of these 19 individual cases that I mentioned earlier, Ten of those people, Jesus specifically mentioned their faith, or implied about their faith. That's quite something, isn't it? And and, and uh, a bunch of the times, he was, was celebrating their faith. That they actually put their faith in him. Now, would that be true of us, also, in this conversation that we're having with Jesus? That we can actually put our faith in God, put our ultimate trust in God, that we are relying in God. This is what God is wanting us to do. Matthew chapter uh, 13, verse 55, here we see something about uh, people who put limits on Jesus. Matthew chapter 13, verse 55 says this Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And not are his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And not all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now, that's a verse, isn't it? Jesus didn't do a bunch of stuff there. Why? Because of their unbelief. How was their unbelief manifested? Well, you're just Joseph. No honor. Well, we, we know your mom. We know your brothers. You're just the carpenter's son. You're nobody. No esteem. No honor for Jesus. And once again, this would be hard for us to imagine. But this was true. A lot of places Jesus went. Some people were so excited about him. And some people hated him. And wanted to kill him. And eventually did. But he couldn't do a bunch of stuff there in his own hometown. Why? Because they're unbelief. They weren't going to put their trust in him. And it it limited what Jesus could do in their lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to limit anything that God would want to do in my life. Can I get an amen on that one? So how are we going to do that? We're going to put our trust in him. Once again, it's not a big, hard, difficult thing. I am going to trust God. We are always going to trust God. We are always going to put our faith in God. We are always going to ask. And that should be our disposition as it relates to our Savior. When we're facing sickness and disease, when we're facing difficulty, what should we do? We're going to ask God. We're going to put our faith in Him. We're not going to be like this town where we limited what God could do in our lives or what he wanted to do in our lives just because we just chose not to believe. I chose just to be a skeptic. Now, I want to put my faith in God. I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to put my faith in what God wants to do in my life. The scripture says in in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Why can we not please God without faith? Because this is the way God operates with you and me. He is not operating with you and me with how religious we are. And how religious we can be. That's not how God is operating with us. Faith is a relational term. Faith means trust. Trust. Now, can you think about some people in your life that you trust? What does that mean when you trust them? It means they're dependable. It means they're there when you need them. It means when they say they're going to meet you somewhere, they meet you somewhere. Right? You put your trust in them. That's what it means to have faith in God. I trust Him. I just trust Him. I just trust Him. We just trust Him. That's what we're going to do. Well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what about this? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about all those things. I, I'm, I don't necessarily can answer all of those questions. But I do. One thing I know we're going to do, we're going to trust God. We're going to have faith in God. Amen. Amen. That is how we're supposed to be operating in life. And that's why in, in certain situations, in certain circumstances, when everybody else is freaking out, you can be calm. Why? Well, I'm going to trust God. I, I'm just deciding to put my trust in God. If I'm going to put my trust in circumstances, how will my emotions be? Huh? Huh? If I'm going to put my trust trust in politicians, if I'm going to put my trust in the economy, how will my emotions be? How uh, there will be a deficit of emotional energy in my life? Because if the stock market's up, I'm going to be excited. Yes, I'm going to have a great retirement. Stock market goes down tomorrow. Oh no, my retirement, it's over. We're going to be up and down and up and down and up and down. We're going to be freaking out with everybody else. Instead... Let's live like we have a relationship with God. Let's live like we have faith in God. That we put our trust in Him. About everything. And about every circumstance. Amen. And not be like this town. And, and dishonor. And, and think Jesus just, is just common. And the power of God is not a big deal. That we're going to put our faith in God. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Here's another story about a woman who was healed. Love this one. Mark chapter 5 verse 25 says this, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. Have you ever felt like that? When When you're not feeling well, And it's a struggle and and you, you can barely remember what it feels like to feel good. This is the situation this woman was in 12 years. Verse 27, when she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind in the crowd and touched his garment. So what did she do? She heard about a report about Jesus. She heard something about Jesus. Now how is this woman different from the town that the blind man was in? She heard about Jesus and she was going to where he was because she just wanted to touch him. Is she different than the town? Bethsaida? How is she different? Well, it just, I, Bethsaida, I, we just don't believe it. We just don't believe it we know Jesus is a miracle worker we know Jesus did this and accomplished this and he said this but we're like meh what about Jesus' own hometown where Jesus couldn't do a bunch of stuff well he's just Jesus he's just the carpenter's son look at there's his mom there's his brothers and sisters Jesus is not a big deal this woman had a different attitude she heard a report ...about Jesus. And when you have this condition... ...at this time you're not even... ...by the law... ...you're not even allowed to go outside... ...because you could be contagious to somebody else. So she's going out... ...and she's just going to break the rules... ...because she heard... ...about Jesus. She heard a report. Verse 27... ...she heard the reports about Jesus... ...and came up behind him in the crowd... And touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus was perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him. Immediately he turned around about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around, and, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened in her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease what made her well what did Jesus say was the thing that made her well what did Jesus say he said to her your faith now we know previous in the story when she touched his garment what happened that Jesus said that he could sense power had gone out of him God's power we talked about the Holy Spirit five for five weeks God's power Once again, what's different about this woman? There's a whole crowd of people are touching Jesus, because Jesus said, "Who touched me?" And the disciples like, "Jesus, everybody's touching you. Why are you asking us these questions? We never understand what you're asking us." Who touched me? What kind of what kind of touch was it? Was it a touch like the people from Bethsaida? No, because I just didn't believe it. I just don't believe it. I just don't believe that God's power could do anything in my life. Okay, but let's make a different choice. Let's hear the stories about Jesus, and be like this woman. I, I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna reach out and touch Jesus. I'm just gonna reach out and receive the thing that God has given to me I'm just going to reach out and receive what God has provided for me like a good father provides food for his children the scripture says that healing is the children's bread so what are we going to do this morning we're just going to we're just going to receive from God do we have to do some big religious thing do we have to get our eyes spit on no you don't what are we going to do? We're just going to receive from God this morning. Just right there in our seats we're going to receive communion together here in a second. It will remind us about God and His power. But let's be like this woman today. Let's not be like the town of Bethsaida. Let's not be like Jesus' hometown. But let's be like the person like, let's, like this woman that Jesus commended for her faith. He said to her Your faith has made you whole your faith has healed your trust in me so what are we going to do today man we're just going to put our trust in God we're going to put our trust in the Savior as we said healing is about restoration healing is about making things right something wrong in your physical body is described as dis-ease Something wrong in your emotions. You are struggling with a broken heart. Man, we're just going to receive God's power today. We're just going to open up ourselves and say, God, I put my trust in you today. We're just going to be like this woman. We're going to receive what God has for us today. So let's just all get out our communion elements there. If you're comfortable, you can receive communion along with us. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at